Hello, hello, my friends. What a day. What a day. It's Friday. It's August the 6th. It's another episode of the Bard Talks podcast. I really need to up my production quality because there's so many sound effects I want to do. I know I've mentioned that before, but there's so many sound effects that I really want to put in here to, to give it pizzazz. We need, we need pizzazz. We need, a, we need some flair. I need my, uh, what is it, 13 pieces of flair? That reference from uh, Office Space, uh, a classic comedy film if you have not seen it. Um, you, you really, really need to see this movie if you've never seen it. Um, I won't get into it. I'll, I should do an episode about movies, though. You know, I've done I've done anime episodes. I've done the games, you know, both video, tabletop. Um, I should really do a movie episode. I think that would be a lot of fun. I have to, uh, that might be my Monday episode. Um, if any of y'all would like to join me and talk movies, we can do that. I mean, we can talk the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We can talk the DCEU. We can talk indie films. And I would be more than happy to have someone on here. So I can just sit here for 30 minutes or so and tell you why Wes Anderson is the greatest director of all time. Um, I welcome the uh, criticism that that might get from some of you and I might get some uh, praise from some of you. Seriously though, Wes Anderson, greatest living director right now. Greatest director of all time. You know what? I'll put that up. I'll put that up there. You know, you got your Francis Ford, uh, Coppola, you know, Martin Scorsese. Quentin Tarantino, um, Alfred Hitchcock. No, give me Wes Anderson. Give me all his films. Give me uh, Bottle Rocket. Give me Rushmore. Um, give me uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, the Darjeeling Limited, the Grand Budapest Hotel, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, um, Isle of Dogs, <laughs> and his upcoming project... Um, oh gosh, what is it that I, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of Wes Anderson's next movie. I've seen the trailer a hundred times cause the film keeps getting pushed back, but it comes out the same day that Dune does the new Dune film, which even though uh, it has Timothy Chalamet and, uh, a, a wonderful, well round you know, Oscar Isaac and, and a, a myriad of other great characters. I think the new Dune film is going to be great. Um, the French Dispatch, that's the name of the next Wes Anderson film, which incidentally also has uh, Timothy Chalamet in it. That little kid. Man, you know, what a talented actor. But I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to have this huge uh, <laughs> conversation about movies because I think a conversation about movies and film and the like is best with uh, others. Uh, I really want someone to join me for that. If you're a movie buff of any kind, reach out to me on Twitter at Bard Plays Games. Let's get you on here. Let's do that Monday evening. I think that'd be really, really fun to do a movie podcast discussion. I think that would be awesome. That would be groovy. That would be rad. Why don't we have rad anymore? Why did rad go away? I know I'm a 90s kid, elder millennial, as we're called, but rad was my favorite slang word <laughs> throughout my entire childhood. I'm bringing it back. Did it go away? I don't know. But tonight, I want to talk about uh, collectibles. You know, I haven't had a conversation about that yet. And it's really on my mind heavily, because if you know me, then you know today was my first day at my new, new job, 
because I was working at Best Buy for a little bit. That kind of didn't really go the way I was hoping it was going to go. And then an opportunity to work at GameStop fell in my lap. And yes, let's go ahead and get the uh, elephant in the room out of the way. GameStop, wow, now that I'm an employee of theirs, <laughs> I have to be super careful how I word my phrases here, how I word this next bit. GameStop has, in the past, had some uh, complications, had some issues. It was a, uh, it's a company that has gone in some sour directions as well as some sweet directions. And I'm not about to sit here and renege on all that just to go, wow, this is a great company. I'm a company man, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, uh, I recognize that. And it's not like I'm working for a barbaric and bigoted company like Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby, because I would never do that, um, or Activision Blizzard, God forbid. But it was, you know, you take the company side of it out. You take the business practice issues that they've had in the past out. Um, I can say that the company is under different leadership now. It seems to be going in a more positive direction. Time will tell. I've had, I actually got to meet my district manager today and I had one of the most heartfelt and open conversations that I've ever had in my 19 years of retail with the district manager. Um, that was very refreshing, but it was super awesome getting to work this job because I set or set, I stood there in the store today for my nine hour shift and it flew by and I cannot remember the last time I had this much fun working in retail. If I had to guess, it would be Blockbuster back in 2006. And that right there puts a good date on me. That tells you that I'm, I am a really one bad uh, upgrade in my arthritis away, if I can call it an upgrade, um, elevation in my arthritis away from just being an old man with a cane yelling at kids who's running on my lawn. But it was so cool standing there and just talking games with people. You know, you almost forget you're working. And this is not a paid advertisement by any means for y'all to run out and go work at GameStop. I have principles, and I truly believe that if you want to work in retail, do it. If you want to do something else, do it. I'm not telling you to go do this or that. I'm telling you there's my personal experience today that it was so much fun. Uh, met a couple of my coworkers. It's a very tight-knit group, very small group. And we just sat there, and as the customers came in and out, you know, I'm talking games with everybody. I'm talking uh, different, uh, you know, developers with them. I'm talking science fiction shows with them. I had a half-hour conversation about Doctor Who today. And I can't remember the last time that I got to spend an entire day face-to-face -face with people, especially since the onset of this godforsaken pandemic. And I got to talk to people about the same passions and loves and joys. And what really stood out to me was the type of conversation that it was. It was polite. It was conventional. It was um, refreshing. It was void of elitism and gatekeeping and console war stupidity that you find on social media. And yes, all of you on my Twitter I surround myself with you because you're wonderful people and we have great conversations. But you see on social media um, so much every day that, and it's gotten worse as the pandemic has dragged on, just the 
the bickering and the back and forth and you can't you know xbox is the best nintendo's full of shit or playstation's the best and microsoft's crap and you know all these things that we choose to and willingly divide ourselves with i didn't see that not once not with any customer not with any coworker none of it and i can't tell you from my mental state and my my that my mental health and my physical well-being how amazing it felt to just sit there and shoot the shit about stuff that we all loved and not once did any of us bring up a, a game or a hobby that we share or don't share and not once was that met with ridicule of any kind you know i was i i firmly believe especially at 35 years old that i have zero time to waste on popularity bullshit I'm not going to sit here and change my views on things just to fit the mold. I was asked, you know, what games do I love? What's my favorite franchise? You know, I, I spent good time talking about Pokemon. I spent time talking about um, playing a little Minecraft, playing uh, Farm Sims. Like, you know, I spent time talking about Stardew Valley, Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons, talking about uh, Animal Crossing, talked about platformers, you know, and it was all met with open arms and open minds. And it was, you know, there was a lot that we all had in common. There was a few things that we did not have in common, but it was great. And, you know, we went from one moment talking certain video games and then a customer would come in and I, one uh, kid in particular, this teenager picked up a, a Dungeons and Dragons starter set for fifth edition. And we talked Dungeons and Dragons for a little while. And I made it known that I have this great love affair with playing the bard and for the first time in forever, I wasn't laughed at for it because there are so many Dungeons and Dragons elitists out there who just laugh at anybody who plays a bard, you know, and, and it's so shitty. It really is. But none of that was there today. Of course, it was day one. Long way to go. God willing. And I'm going to have rough days. We all have rough days. We're all going to run into shitty people. But it was nice to have one day where I got to have a, a wonderful discourse, wonderful conversation with no negative feedback, no negative energy, and it just flowed. It was literally just a river of geek conversation, and it felt a little sad when it ended. Like I was a little upset like, man, I have to go home now. And I can't and I was so stunned at myself when I got in my car to go home that I was actually a, a little sad to go home because that had to end. Tomorrow's another day. We'll see how it goes. But I think it's going to be good. And it's also a lot about how you approach these things mentally and and how you, uh, you know, prepare yourself for such things. And I, I went into it with an open mind and, and was well rewarded. I did not go into it going, all right, you know, I'm going to be working with, uh, you know, other longtime gamers. You know, I hope, you know, it's not going to be negative. I hope it's, you know, I got to, I got to put my guard up. I just let it happen naturally. And it, it was wonderful. I wish I would have hit record on my phone to just record these conversations because it's, it's excellent material. And I can't wait to have some of these coworkers on my podcast. I didn't bring that up yet with them. I don't want to be that guy, but it was really cool. Really, really cool. But something today that stood out in particular was collectibles. And some of my fellow associates were picking up um, some collectibles that 
had come into the store. And now I will preface this with saying that it is, um, they are great people. And if only one copy or one uh, item came in of something they wanted, they would not buy it. Only if there were multiple things so other people could purchase them, would they buy it. And we got on this really deep and uh, long talk about collectibles. And my coworkers, I mean, they pick up, you know, your action figure collectibles. They were picking up Funko Pops. They were picking up Magic Cards. They were picking up Pokemon Cards. And it was so cool to just have a really fun and relaxed conversation about that. And I brought up the fact that I love uh, Funko Pops. Um, I have, ne- I used to buy whatever. Like if I saw something from anything that I loved, I would buy a pop for it. And I had to kind of tone that down a little bit because as a married man with two kids and one on the way, you have to really start picking and choosing your hobbies a little bit. And it doesn't help that I'm also a Gundam collector. So budgeting for hobbies, especially as an adult, is is of the utmost importance. Because you don't want to put yourself in a corner to where you can't enjoy anything. And that's a, a part of collecting that I'm interested to get your opinion and your, and your views on and, and your uh, feedback on. Do you throw your money in all directions? Or do you hone in so you can fully enjoy? It's sort of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none situation. Do you want to go out and go like, I need that pop, I need that D&D book, I need that Gundam model, I need that pack of cards, I need this new Flash action figure that came out, I need this new Star Wars replica helmet that came out. So you have little bits of so much stuff, but in a way that just spurs more unhappiness. It just spurs more desire and need to consume, and so you're almost left with a, a... a prevailing void of joy within because you're constantly needing more stuff. And from my own personal perspective, uh, trimming down my hobbies, I only really collect anime Funko Pops now. Um, I, I got out of the action figure collectible game. I got out of comic books. Um, I do miss comic books a lot, but unfortunately where I live, and I've seen this in other states as well, comic shops are starting to slowly conv- what's the word I'm looking for here slowly starting to morph and change into just game stores you know because comics and and for those of you who don't know a little bit of info so uh, for those who do buy comics and you go to your local comic store and they've got all these issues in or you see these nice issues in or with like the the variant covers and you want that but you know the prices are a little high on that stuff or if the, the comic shop doesn't have enough copies and you miss out, do not get mad at your local comic book store owner. Don't do it. For those of you who do not know, the profit margin on a comic book is worse than the profit margin on a gallon of gas for a gas station. Gas stations, has an, as an example, make jack shit on gas. It's the other stuff in the store that they get their money from. A comic book, for example, let's say a Marvel comic book, which the last I knew was a $3.99 cover price, I guarantee you it is costing that comic shop about 3 bucks just to get that comic book in. Now you might think, that's a $0.99 cent profit right there. They're almost making a buck off of each one. 
Well, the distribution companies that they used to use for this, it only used to be one diamond distribution. It was only one company, but now that's slowly starting to break up and that, that monopoly is breaking. Thank God. So maybe Marvel and DC are, are starting to find better ways to help the local shop owner. Although I severely doubt it. Um, you can't just order one copy of certain things and those lovely variant covers you like, let's say there's uh, the amazing Spider-Man has a nice fancy variant cover coming out from a uh, Scotty young who does some of my favorite variant covers. Um, you can't just go in there as a comic shop owner and buy that one, order that one. Sometimes depending on how popular the artist is, you have to order 20 copies of a book just to get one variant cover. So let's put it this way. Let's say it costs the comic shop three bucks to order one copy of a book. Now he needs 20 copies to get the one variant cover that a customer wants. So now you've got 60 bucks right there. And at most he can make 20 bucks off of that and profit, right? Or what you perceive to be the profit. And I'll get to that. So now he's got his 20 books and then here comes the, the variant cover. So you got to sell the variant cover for a higher price because buying the 20 books doesn't get you the variant cover. You still have to pay for it to get it. You, there's just a prerequisite of buying 20 books. And the variant cover can sometimes cost $7, $10, $20 for you to buy. But I'm guaranteeing you it's costing the comic shop owner about a couple of bucks less than that just to order it. And then now you're looking at this profit, this pool of money that you think the guy is making or woman is making, but you're not thinking overhead. You're not thinking bills. You know, you're not thinking payroll. You're not thinking upkeep. You're not thinking the other merchandise. So comics are not a source of great profit. Your older back issue books, a little bit more room, the tabletop games, that stuff costs money to get into. And it's not like they're ordering it for half price and then selling it for double. It's a much slimmer profit margin. Nobody gets into the comic and game store business to make money. You do it because you love it. So please, especially in these hard times because the pandemic is crushing comic and game stores, be patient with these people. Be nice to these people. Don't get upset if your favorite book or board game or card game is not in stock. It is a very difficult time right now, not to mention it's a very difficult way to earn a living. But to get off of that tangent, because I feel like that's really important information that uh, comic collectors should know if you don't know. Um, I do miss comic collecting, I do, but it's a hobby I had to cut out. Um, I buy board games. Um, not I, I do collect them, but I make sure that I'm not buying more than what we're interested in. I make sure the whole family wants to play them. Um, big time Gundam collector, so to enjoy my board game love and uh, my Gundam collection love, I had to trim down on other stuff. Like I don't, I just the other week bought two physical copies of a manga for the first time in years. And I probably will be the last time for years because it's a hobby that I can't collect. I can't put all of my eggs in all of these baskets. It's just too much uh, money being Flow, uh, flowing out of my accounts for very little coming in. 
So I'm wondering, do you do that as well? Do you, have you trimmed down your hobbies to enjoy to the fullest extent of a handful of hobbies? Or do you just still throw money at everything and do you feel there's an emptiness there somewhere? I'm just really curious to hear what you think. But and as far as other collectibles go, I do love uh, scooping up old video games. Of course, there's a few titles here and there and those prices are going up too on some of the older titles, especially for GameCube games. I've noticed those have gone up. Um, it's not easy right now being a collector. Unless you get lucky and go into a store like a, your local game shop or a retro game shop or a nationwide chain game store and you get it the day it comes out for retail price, it's very difficult to, uh, to be a collector right now because the pandemic gave so many people so much time on their hands that they started getting into collectibles, especially cards. And Pokemon cards make a great collectible. They do. I have several that I'm very fond of. I still have a, a, a play set, four of them, first edition uh, Gyarados cards. And I've always loved those. And uh, I don't think I'll ever part with them. But there's some value there in Pokemon, more so the older cards. Some newer cards do have a good bit of value. But when it comes to collecting um, anything... It's important that you don't go looking on price guide websites for value. Just a little bit of side info here. Your best friend when it comes to collecting anything that you collect, if it's video games, tabletop games, figurines, whatever it is you're into, eBay. The, change your filter to complete and sold. There's what your value is. You can go to tcgplayer.com and look up a value of a card. And then you can go to eBay and look up what that card has just recently sold for. And the parity there is insane. Like, it's it's a wide gap. And it's that way because a collectible, a collectible, if I can learn to talk, is only worth what you can manage to get someone to give you. And I'm telling you right now, I really want to put this voice of mine on the record as saying this. It will not, it is a bubble. Collectibles are a bubble. And we are very close to a massive drop in value for so many of our collectibles. And a good indicator of how collectibles go is the actual stock market itself. When the stock market goes down, collectibles go down. If people cannot pay mortgages, they are not buying first edition Shadowless Charizards. That's just a fact. And the, uh, the exception to the rule, of course, has always been, for some odd reason... When it comes to card games especially, magic cards. Magic cards have always only held value in cards that help you win tournaments. Yeah, if you look up your Grand Prix tournaments, your World Championships, your World Cup, uh, even all the way down to Friday Night Magic tournaments of what's a top 8 deck. When you see cards that are winning tournaments, there's your value. Beyond that, it's always your old sets. Your Alpha, your Beta, your Unlimited, your Revised that's where the value starts to come off of a deep cliff or a steep cliff, I should say. Um, obviously you got your power nine cards. Those are always going to be worth money. But after you get past alpha beta unlimited, you know, it just starts to drop in value. But other than that, Pokemon seems to hold a value on age, like your older cards. Most of the value in Pokemon is in older cards with the exception of a few newer ones, but Pokemon value has gone up because of the pandemic. 
people are going out to stores, scooping up sealed products, selling it for 400% markups, and it's causing that value to skyrocket. And that's not a sustainable way to have a collectible economy. It will burst. It will crash. People are going to be left holding on to product that they cannot get rid of. But I, I know it sounds like I went off on a little path there, but I think it's, it, to me, it's fascinating to discuss the collectible economy because it's such a mix. It's a mix of where the stock market is. It's a mix of what you can convince people to pay you for it. It's a mix of sentiment because so many people get into collectibles, like for myself, Gundam models. There are not many Gundam models that have tremendous value. It is not a hobby you get into for future profit. It's a hobby you get into because you're passionate about uh, the Gundam anime series, or you're passionate about mech anime, or you're passionate about model building. So it's, it's interesting to see people get into certain hobbies for certain collectibles, because are they doing it to make money? Are they doing it because they love to do it? Are they doing it because it, bring, it elicits from them uh, childhood memories of joy and happiness? And I think some people, more often than not, let nostalgia lenses blur the lines of reality. And they think they have a, a collection of pure value and they've got nothing. And that, to me, is so heartbreaking. If you're getting into a collectible hobby, make sure you know why you're doing it. Do you want value? Do you want long-term investment? Or do you want something to do with your time that you find enjoyable and relaxing. And once you do that, you can better determine how to invest your money and how to invest your time. Because not every single Pokemon card you open is value. Not every single action figure you pick up from Target on a Friday morning is value. Not every single figurine you can buy at San Diego Comic-Con is value. Exclusivity brings a level of prestige, but it does not always hold a level of value. And I think it's an important distinction to make for yourself. Sometimes it's okay to sit back and look at your collectibles and go, am I too branched out? Do I know why I'm doing this? Or am I consuming simply to consume, to fill a void that will never be full because the more you see it, the more you want it. Like I, when my day started today, I had no intent of having an urge to buy a Funko Pop. I had no intent of having an urge to buy a, uh, a Marvel action figure or a, a pack of Pokemon cards. And I didn't, but what I found surprising was the urge to buy these things grew within me as I watched the joy and the pleasure and the happiness that my coworkers were experiencing by buying those things. It's an interesting trickle-down effect of emotion. And I had to stop myself and think to myself, remember why I do this. Remember what hobbies I'm into. Remember why I chose these things to collect. I did not need a $99 gigantic Pikachu Funko Pop. I wanted it. It looked amazing. But it's not a necessity. I'd rather have $99 in my account so I could spend $12 
on a new My Hero Academia Funko Pop. I hope that makes some sense. Because it's a very tricky path that we as collectors can walk down. Once we lose sight of why we collect the things we do, we are very susceptible to losing our footing and just sliding down a path of endless consumerism for no real emotional return. Now, you're more than welcome to tweet at me, at Bard Plays Games. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. You're not the first. You won't be the last. Or you can tweet at me and tell me that you agree. Or just tell me your thoughts on the matter. I'd love to hear it. I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts on collectibles. And before I wrap this up, I uh, I did put out a tweet asking... Um, Asking who had questions for me today. Let's see here. I'm checking my Twitter feed. Looks like I only had one question at the time of this recording. And it's from my buddy, Gary, at GaryLikesGames on Twitter. Go follow him. This dude is one of the coolest people that you could talk to on social media. So nice. So down to earth. Has a hell of a YouTube channel. Go. Go follow this guy. Have a conversation with him. You won't regret it. But Gary writes in, he asked me, do you have a prize collectible? And that's an intriguing question. Then again, most questions to me are intriguing because I like to talk. Shocking. I have a fucking podcast. I like to talk. <laughs> that's why I need more guests on here. So it's not just you listening to my voice for half an hour, three days a week. A prized collectible. I'm inclined to jump to the notion of value. I'm inclined to jump to the notion of what is the most expensive and worthwhile and valuable collectible that I can mention for the impressive shock and awe from the audience. And that's dumb. Prized collectibles can become can come in so many things. I, uh, for those who don't know, I'm an avid sports fan. I love baseball. I have a mon- monstrous baseball card collection. Not much of it is worth anything, but it's worth something to me because I love it. But I have a sizable amount of cards that are worth some decent money. And one of the cards that's worth the less, the least amount of money, surprisingly, out of the ones I have, is a, a 1992 Topps Derek Jeter draft pick card. And that's something near and dear to my heart because he's my favorite baseball player on my favorite baseball team. That And that's a tradition that was passed on to me from my grandmother up in New York. So it's things like that that has a sentimental value that would mean a prized collectible. As far as other collectibles go, um, that I could throw in the mix for prized collectible, I have a Todoroki Funko Pop that is means a lot to me because I love that show. I have a... I have all... Of the uh, Sword Art Online Funko Pops. I love that show. So it's interesting to try to put prized collectible. But if I, as, as I think on it and I give it a little bit of more uh, uh, reflection, I have to go my first edition Blastoise card for Pokemon. That is my most prized collectible. I know it's a cop out to pick a card as a collectible. I do have a myriad of Gundams. Not as much as some people, but I have a pretty sizable Gundam collection. I have a pretty sizable anime DVD collection, um, video game, retro video game collection. Um, I do have 
you know, the gold copy of Ocarina of Time, which I love to death. But I, I say my most prized collectible is my first edition base set Blastoise card from the Pokemon TCG. I've got it in a plastic case. I haven't gotten it graded after all these years because that truly doesn't matter that much to me. But it reminds me of my favorite game franchise of my of my entire life. And it reminds me of so many great times that I had with my friends growing up playing that game. And even to today, talking about Pokemon with new people that I just met. And that that collectible means so much to me. That's a prized collectible in my mind. But I pose that question to y'all, you collectors out there. I know, I'm asking y'all a lot of questions on my podcast. And, and I like doing that because I, I want to get more of you in on this conversation. Because it's so much fun. But what collectibles do you have that are prized in your mind? Or what what is something that's worth a lot to you, monetarily or emotionally? So I'll leave it there. I hope you had fun listening to this podcast. I hope you uh, had a great day today. We're at the weekend. Let's do it. Let's go play some games. Let's have a hell of a fun time. Um, get out there. You know, play games with your friends. Play games with new people. Spread some joy around. Spread some love around. Spread some kindness around because God knows we need it. And as always, I would be remiss if I didn't say it. If you have the ability to, if you have the health to, if you are able to, but you have not done so yet, please go get vaccinated. This will not end if we do not do this one simplistic step. Go get vaccinated. I'll give you a big old bear hug when I see you if you tell me you got vaccinated. That would be fun. Or you might punch me. I don't know. We'll do it. We'll see what happens. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. If you liked what you heard here, be a friend, tell a friend. If you didn't like what you heard here, let me know on Twitter at Bard Plays Games. Hit me up. Tell me what you uh, what you did not like or tell me what you loved. I hope you all have a great night. Have a great weekend. And we will talk to you all Monday.